little bit of a summer hiatus. Welcome to episode 30 of the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pachit, Dave Friedman alongside. 30? What, what? I think it's 31. Well, it's like the hidden tapes, right? The, uh, we have a missing episode. Right, but that still counts. We, we did the podcast. No one listened but it, to it. But it's kind of like all the other ones. <laughs> so you think we should call this one 31? 31. It should this be 31. This is the 31st podcast we've Even done, Even though number right? 30. So actually, so 30, if somebody could ever, uh, maybe the Russians are listening, but if somebody could get like episode 30 out of like the ether. Right. Honestly, the first yeah. 29 stunk, but number 30 was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was that, that was an award-winning yeah. Our apologies podcast. to Josh Maurer if we had a technical difficulty on that, and uh, it, it never aired. It so didn't it's, air. It's, it's our missing. Uh, it's our missing tape. It's our missing audio but file. But man, were we good! It was great. I mean, I, I'm sorry you missed it. It was fantastic. <laughs> I don't know where you were. <laughs> well, I'm sorry we've missed you. You've been on, out of town for a couple weeks. Yeah, we've been out of town. We went to New York City for a few days, which was great. Uh, saw Springsteen on Broadway, which was oh, phenomenal. How was that? You didn't tell me unbelievable. You were doing that. Oh, well, man. that wasn't actually the plan. Oh, uh, and then we went to a wedding in Saratoga Springs, and then I played the horses for a week with my buddies. But you know, and you made it on Sirius XM. Like you've had a full vacation. Well, I mean, I handicap like I know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> you might as well do a, a guest gig on the Horse Racing Absolutely. Radio Network. But um, yeah, Springsteen on Broadway how was it? Was it was phenomenal. The funny part though is how we actually got tickets. Yeah. It's virtually impossible to get tickets. Impossible. If you want to get them on the secondary market, they cost Expensive. well over a thousand dollars a piece, right. and that's just not a price I was willing no. to pay. So it was uh, the last night we were in New York City. It was like Thursday afternoon, and we were debating whether we should go to the half price ticket counter and just kind of. Right. We were thinking about seeing the, the, the my red fair lady, place? or there were a couple of yeah, the red tickets booth. We were thinking that there, there were a couple of things that appealed to us, might be interesting. We saw Carousel the night before, oh. which we really enjoyed. And Can you sing a few bars. Uh, no, maybe, maybe I think we did that on the last podcast. Wasn't that in episode 30 as <laughs> that well? Was, you were, Dave singing was uh, one of the highlights of episode 30. Right. So, um, it's like three in the afternoon. We're debating what to do, what play we want to see, where we want to go to dinner, stuff along those lines. And just on a whim, I kind of Googled Springsteen on yeah. Broadway, knowing that there are no tickets, but you know, maybe something came available or right, whatever. Right. And I found a Craigslist posting, which oh. I assumed was a scam right. for way below right. what you would expect to pay. And I'm like, well, there, there's no way this is legit, but I'm just going to run over to StubHub or one of those type sites, one of those secondary sites that are legitimate right. and, and see what the tickets were. And instead of them being $1,000 or $1,500 a piece, they were like, $600 a piece. And I thought, I really still don't want to pay $600. Yeah. Plus, the fees are going to be another $100 on those tickets. But I'm like, if they've gone from $1,200 or $1,400 to $600, maybe they're going to go down even further. Right. So I kind of set a price point that I was willing yes. to pay and a time point. So, you know, at some point, we're going to have to leave the hotel, right. go get tickets to something go get a right. meal etc and i set like a little price alert and got an email and the price alert came up bought two tickets and now it's still a really expensive ordeal yes but you go to a concert at giant stadium and there are sixty thousand people right there are 975 yeah, tickets a real intimate to springsteen mm -hmm. on broadway and i think when it's all said and done there's going to be like 150 or 200 performances so the number of total people that can see him are the equivalent of like one 
concert and it's not a concert it's it's a completely play. different like people who go to it come back because i've heard I've, on the springsteen channel they talk about this all the time it's like if you go in thinking you're going to a springsteen it's not that springsteen concert not that i mean there's a lot of talking yeah there's a lot of political stuff which, which sure. bruce has done for a long long time it is though scripted i mean he does yes. the same play every night though like a some concert that gives, he yeah. can audible a little bit yeah. if he wants to i think it was back in uh i think it was like july 11th or something he actually did an encore for the first time he hadn't been oh yeah he doing hadn't done that, that. Yeah. and and i think he has sometimes patty is there and sometimes mm-hmm. patty is right. not it's a different there. show when she's there right yeah. but i i found it to be and, and maybe this is just emotional i i found it to be moving it's yeah. strong it tells a message it tells a story it's Funny at times. It, it was really, really enjoyable. He doesn't play a lot of the hits. He plays a few of them, but some of them aren't even recognizable. They're, they're done very, very, like very slowly. Some of them are done acoustic. Like they're just, there are a lot of right. differences, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and if you read the tea leaves, it seems as though the next thing that's coming is he's going to take it on the road. That, really? That's what, wow, b- that'd be based great. on what I'm reading, it sounds like he's having a great time doing it, and maybe he's going to go do it in, I don't know, L.A. for a week or two or Vegas for a month mm-hmm. or something like that. And it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he's making a huge amount of sure. money, but it's not getting in the the van or getting on a flight and traveling all the time. You can kind of set up camp yeah. in one place and do it for a while. And, yeah, it was really it was really good. It was moving. It was touching. I mean, you've read his book. Mm-hmm. It's kind of his book right. in two or two and a half hours, and, yeah. and, and I found it to be, I found it to be excellent. We really enjoyed it. Was it expensive? Yes, yeah. but we don't do things like that all the time. It was kind of a a one shot deal, and it was really enjoyable. And the other thing I've heard is they are I don't I forget who is going to actually air it, but I think it's going to be recorded. Yeah, uh, it's either uh, Netflix or HBO yeah, like or, or someone. And I think that would be very much worth watching. I don't know how much will be lost in translation, right. not being there versus watching it on TV. But my guess is they're going to do it at a very very high level, and no it'll doubt. be pretty no good. I, I think it'll be be a good a good watch. Um, besides you going, the closest I've come to that was they because uh, obviously we have XM and they had a contest I think in March, and I I like you know millions of other people I I threw a flyer in and of course never heard anything. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like trying to win uh, Hamilton tickets in Charlotte, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean I logged on right at Where the correct time. Where were you in the queue? Like at 50, I was fifty six thousand. <laughs> so I, I was I was real yeah, close. You were close. I think, you were I think, right on. I think it. I almost got tickets. Um, I have a theory on the Hamilton tickets in Charlotte, by the way. Oh, yeah. I think they are going to become available Mm -hmm. because they have to figure out all the people that subverted the system, all the people that bought more than the four tickets they're allowed to, that had multiple accounts, all the people that are scalpers that they're trying to weed out. I think one day, if you're constantly reloading, you're going to open that site up and there are going to be a bunch of Hmm. tickets available. That's an interesting philosophy. I I, I hope you're right. I think that could be the case. I just don't know if I'm going to be the one sitting in front of my computer at that point. But I do about three or four times a day hit the reload button and just see if something happens to just spring open. Now, can you still log on to that or is it closed? No, it's open. It's open. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, I just assumed if you you already... uh, Like, in other words, I thought it was maybe they... If well, you had the an account, Q, you could... The, the Q system like, is gone, yeah. but it, now it just looks like any other Ticketmaster gotcha. show that's sold out. I mean, it just yeah. says it all of that. it kind of blew up on the first day. Well, of course it did. Because it I was mean, over, they, over 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever been anything in Charlotte. I mean, including like the NFC Championship game that has had the demand for Hamilton tickets. I mean, they're only having like 20 performances yeah. or something like that. And, you know, the, the, the audience that is interested is kind of everybody like yeah. like it's young and old and it's every color and it's every demographic i mean it, it's unbelievably popular my parents saw it in new york city oh. a year or two and joe biden was in attendance really? that day wow. and it's done they next to him? they were not sitting next to him it's done unbelievable in chicago since it's yeah. been there and i mean I, I will very much try to go in charlotte maybe tickets just won't be available we'll i don't see. know we'll I mean, find we'll, out we'll see now so the tell how'd you do with the ponies not particularly well. The day I was on the radio, yeah. I knocked him dead. <laughs> the, the other days, not not so well. In very, very brief, because no one wants a real lesson on handicapping, yeah. the bet that I prefer I thought that was going to be segment three. Yeah, exactly. I think we talked about it last week, we so did. I don't want to yeah. repeat no, I don't want to uh, repeat Yeah, yeah we don't want to repeat ourselves. Uh, the bet that I prefer to make is the pick five, which is essentially a five-race parlay. Right. The reason I like to make that bet is because it is the lowest takeout at the track, meaning the track takes mm-hmm. a percentage off the top of every bet. The pick five is only a 15% takeout. Okay. It's also a 50-cent minimum bet, which means you can play a lot of combinations without it getting too, too expensive. But just the idea of trying to hit five consecutive races is sure. very, very difficult. If you hit four and you miss the fifth, you don't make any right. money. So it's a right. difficult wager in that Now, respect. what's the one where you bet a, a, a race at every like a, like three or four different tracks? Well, I mean, that would be a parlay. The track yeah. doesn't actually offer that. You'd have to play that at a third-party site. But uh, Like uh, Vinny in the uh, bodega yeah, yeah, down the street. <laughs> exactly. Usually, you play one track that you're at, right. and then you can play simulcast, so you can play yeah. Del Mar or Monmouth or something like oh, that. Oh, that but, might change with the rules change, right? Well, the rules changes. Betting on sports could be... Uh, could, could be a game changer. I, I saw a Darren Ravel tweet yesterday or today, and we know that, you know, Darren's not necessarily Mr. Popularity, but he's got two bazillion Twitter followers. Yeah. But he, he was talking about betting in New Jersey and how he's always wanted to bet in New Jersey. And he tried to log onto his phone in the state of New York, and it gave him error message. Really? As soon as he went over the border and got on his phone, wow. he could wager in New Jersey. This is what we talked about yeah. A few weeks ago right. about betting in West Virginia, yeah. people for the NFL season in neighboring states to West Virginia are going to drive to the first exit, Jeez. pull over their yeah. car, bet on their phone, and drive back to where they went. And that's why it's going to be illegal in yeah. every state at some point, because otherwise all yeah, the revenue is just going to go. Well, it's like the old days with the, the Powerball. Powerball yeah, exactly. used to be, uh, I know when we moved to North Carolina in 1998, only South Carolina. Right. Or I think South Carolina, maybe Virginia had it. And so you either had to you know, obviously drive. Well, you wouldn't drive the two hours north to go to Virginia. Right, the lines to, at Carowinds Boulevard. The, the there, there are pictures yeah. of lines to get off at the Carowinds exit yeah. and it being backed up yeah. 10 and 15 yeah, and 20 ridiculous. minutes just to get tickets. Yeah. So guess what? The state of North Carolina decided maybe yeah. they should cash in on that deal, and eventually we'll all have sports gambling. Well, our summer vacation consisted of uh, John is playing football, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, we did. Uh, well, the Panthers have some injuries. Is he going to slot into one of those spots? Well, I'll, I'll put a tease to this John discussion. Um, you'll be interested to find out where they have him positioned, but we'll get we'll get into that. We'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, we're off and running here on the Bearded Car Cast. One segment in, we got a couple more to go. Stay with us. Uh, 
episode 30, I mean, uh, 31 of the Bearded Car Cast with Dave Friedman. I am Mike Pacheco. Glad you're joining us. It's been kind of a, a lighter load here this summer. We've uh, both had some time off, but now we're getting back into the swing of things. And uh, it's good to have you back, Dave. Thanks. It might be a lighter load for Brian Fant- France and Urban Meyer yes. this fall. Yes. It looked like they were going to be working and making a lot of money. Suddenly, it doesn't appear they're going to be quite as busy. Well, and obviously, two different stories. Brian France uh, was in the Hamptons and had a, a DUI and a drug possession arrest. And coming on the heels of, and we talked about this maybe a month ago, Dave, uh, I don't think it was on the last episode. I think it was three or four before <laughs> It that. wasn't on the one that... That, that, didn't, that never mm-hmm. happened, uh, or never aired. It did happen, it just didn't air. Um, but it comes on the heels of NASCAR potentially putting floaters out there that they wanted to sell, and this can't help the cause, or at least helps drive the price down, which isn't good for NASCAR. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story. I remember having a discussion and in that, my... I think this is like second... Two one two. I don't think it's yeah. The first I think time. you're right. It's also interesting that during a race weekend, he was nowhere close to where they were holding the right, race. Right. But that that's neither here nor right. there. Um, Sag Harbor is lovely this time of year. So. <laughs> I, I have no doubt that yeah. that's true. And there are probably some adult beverages <laughs> to be had. And guess what? We've got Uber now, so this really shouldn't yeah. be an issue in your life. But um, so I remember maybe year two or three that you and I worked at Winthrop. I had a philosophical discussion with someone about what if the head basketball coach or the athletic director or you or I ran into a problem with the law. What would the way they go about dealing with that be? And the person I was talking to had been in the athletic department for a long time. And I said, if I got a DUI, I would expect to be fired. Because I'm a public figure that represents the school. And while I would plead for my job and I would apologize and promise not to do it anymore, I wouldn't want that on my ledger. I wouldn't want the university saying, yeah, we're giving second chances. We're okay with that. I would want to say to the student athletes, to the alumni, to the friends and fans of the school, we don't tolerate that. So, the person who had been in the athletic department for a long time said to me, yeah, I don't think anything would happen to you. Really? I, I think you would be fine. And to me, that's the Brian France story. Now, there's a backstory for sure. And their politics, I don't think the sport's doing particularly well right now. But for that instance, do you have a zero tolerance policy or is there a gray area that every instance needs to be discussed and broken down? I think there's definitely a gray area. I think any two institutions or schools or teams will have different philosophies. Um, and I think it also depends how much personal equity has the person who has the infringement, how much have they built up with that organization? And if it's somebody that's beloved, if someone's very successful, I think there's a wider berth. And I think if it's somebody that maybe doesn't have as much of a track record or is maybe has a more checkered track record, if maybe this is the second, maybe third time, uh, if he's not, well, if this person's not well liked, I mean, I think there's so much that goes into it. I think if it's somebody that that is generally well liked, I think I think that that has more more birth to it. Now, whether that's right or not, that that's that's another discussion. But I think. Every institution, every team has a different feeling on stuff like that, and it depends on who the person is. It seems to me, in theory, anyone can have a policy or an idea in mind of how they deal with these things. But the infraction also matters, too. Of course, but in practice, it seems to me that Bruce Pearl wins games 
Bruce is treated different than Bruce Pearl losing games. That coach that is doing everything wrong but winning 11 football games a year and going to BCS games is treated differently than the coach doing everything wrong and winning four games a year. But there's also a subset to that because what about the coach that used to win 10 games every year and now has fallen on hard times? Does that guy have enough equity built up that he survives it? Or, or is, it, is it an excuse or is it to, move on? to cut loose? Right, it, exactly. I, if you're NASCAR, how do you deal with the situation? Well, what's interesting about this is he's, I mean, not only the chief, but he's also a, a major stockholder. Now, the question is, how much does he have left? Because I think I read an article um, that I think at one point he and his sister had half, and the other half is controlled by Jim France, who is, who is now kind of the interim. Uh, and, you know, Brian France went through a very public divorce, and so nobody's really sure how much of the how much of the, the company he, he still owns. And, of course, there's two pieces to the company because there's NASCAR and then there's the, the company that owns the tracks. So, so it's, very, it's very convoluted. It's not as cut and dried as if he were just president of – like even if he were a commissioner of the NFL, I think it's it, – it, there's a lot more So if Roger Goodell here. gets a DUI, is there a punishment? What is the punishment? Does he lose his job? You know what? That's an interesting case because has he, he's probably made enough money that if that were to happen and the owner said to him, "Listen, look, you, you got us into this mess. Well, just just resign." There's you know, no question. If they want to remove Brian France, they can and they will. They will use this as the reason to move on. But but it also depends. They do they blame? Do, do they? Well, but the question becomes: Do they? The, the the people in power? Do they feel like the decline? that NASCAR has had is due to him or is it due to external factors? Uh, one thing I read in a New York times article was the ratings for NASCAR have, I think almost um, fallen by 50% since 2005. See, And that's why urban Meyer is probably more interesting. It seems to me that Brian France is going to get thrown under the bus because the company's doing kind of, you know, so-so. Maybe it's time for a change in leadership. And this is a really good, convenient excuse to say, yeah, let, let, let's move on from him. Meanwhile, by any accounts, Urban Meyer is doing a phenomenal job coaching Ohio State's football team. Now, everything else, that's a major question mark. You've certainly read the information on this one. It's not a perfect parallel. It's not a DUI. Meyer's wife seems to have known a lot of what was going on with one of the coaches on his staff abusing his wife. What Urban actually knew, when he knew it, how he dealt with it, those seem to be questions. If you're Ohio State, what do you do? Well, I think, Dave, you also have to look at the context of the times that we live in. And this is not, you know, this is just kind of putting facts on the table. Uh, You know, obviously with the, the Me Too stuff that's gone on over the last two or three years, um, does this situation play out differently than had this happened five years ago? And not to say that, you know, right or wrong, but I think it does. I mean, was it five years ago or 10 years ago that we were talking about Jerry Sandusky? And no one would compare these two in terms of how heinous the crimes are. But both of them are situations where it wasn't Joe Paterno that was committing the act. Right. And it's not Urban Meyer. that. Right. But it's the cover-up. It's not the crime. Right. So... I think most people agreed that Paterno paid the price and that was appropriate. Isn't this similar in that Meyer should have or could have known and doesn't appear to have acted? 
And how much does past his past play into it? You know, I mean, there's I think things that have followed him throughout his career, and the the one that people keep bringing up to me, uh, you know, the behavior Aaron Hernandez had at the University of Florida. And it never really seemed as if Urban Meyer really took the bull by the horns in that case. So, it, to me, it goes back to something that I, I've I've talked about for years um, in in Charlotte on the radio, and it is kind of the principle of, you know, whatever happened to the idea of integrity. So, is it like the more integrity you have, the less winning you do? That means you're out the door. Like, where where where, where has that thought of winning with integrity? But then as I was thinking about it today, it occurred to me, has, has there really been that big of a gap between that? I mean, has it, hasn't it always just been, no matter how much you win, as long as you're a winner and you're winning championships and you're bringing in money to the university or to a college or to a, you know, to a pro team if, if you're winning and putting people in the stands, how much leeway does that give you? I mean, I, I think you could make the argument that maybe there's always been a lot of leeway and, and maybe the notion of you know, winning with integrity – which you know we kind of hope is there. Maybe that is is not as prevalent as we we feel like it's it has been there. I, Al Davis had that old philosophy: just win, baby. Just win, baby. Yeah. And you know, I I think that's what brings in the dollars. Now that being said, how you win may not matter right up until it matters. I mean, what you do in order to win when you're at. Mississippi State doesn't matter right. right until you land on the front page of the paper and right. But but this this really but this kind of merges the thing about Urban Meyer. What's different about Urban Meyer than the Brian France story is the Brian France story is kind of the traditional guy gets to the top, makes a mistake, you know, gets in trouble with the law, and they'll deal with it. This is something more societal, I think. As far as we're talking about Me Too, we're talking about uh, you know. It's just in the sense of the coach and what he did with his wife and it potentially or alleged physical abuse. And, and So if you were Ohio State, what would you do? Fully recognizing that if you move on from Urban Meyer, you are going to hire an inferior football coach. You're going to have an interim coach this year, and then you're going to hire someone not as good as Urban Meyer, and your football program with probably a 90 or 95% certainty is going to take at least a small step backwards. Alternatively, if you do little or nothing, you suspend them for a game or two, you let them continue coaching, whatever it is, now you are going to be looked at as a program that tolerates what went on. If, if they can conclude... And I know everything out there in the public domain right now, but if, I mean, if they have clear-cut evidence that that he he covered this up or or looked the other way, I don't know how he, how he keeps his job. So it doesn't matter that he didn't do anything simply by lack of action. He's the head of but, the but program. If he, but if he knew somebody was being hurt and he he looked past it because he thought this guy could help win games. Yeah, I, I think you move on from that, especially since, you know, if, if you're trying to say one of your pillars is, uh, you know, treat women with respect, which everybody should. We should all treat each other with respect, men and women. Uh, but if, if you're going to hold that up as a pillar and then you're kind of looking the other way to win games, I mean. Yeah, I agree, because I think you have to stand for you something. Have to stand for, right, right. But that being said, Louisville for a long time had Rick Pitino and yeah. Bobby Petrino. And I don't even think they were really pretending to 
care about morals. They were just trying to win games. So if Ohio State says, we're going to stand behind Urban Meyer and we've conducted our internal investigation and maybe there were some things he could have done, but we can't substantiate exactly what took place and we really want to win football games and he's very good at coaching football, I'm okay with that. I just think it's the, we've conducted the investigation. He did nothing wrong. Well, how could he have done nothing wrong? How is it possible that his wife knew everything right. and he knew zero? Like, think, like, that just doesn't seem likely. But the ultimate problem, though, Dave, when it comes to stuff like this is, and this is a term we've heard a lot on the political side, but it's, we keep moving the goalpost. You know, and... I, but I, that's where I started. Is it a black and white issue yeah. or is it a gray issue? If it's a gray issue, you there are no goalposts. But this is the problem I have with higher education and where we're at now with, with all of this because we're trying to, or the schools are, not you and I, but schools are trying to educate and you know teach the next generation to be good leaders, to be you know good teachers, good doctors, whatever field you know the students go into, they, they try to be the best people that they are. And then, meanwhile, you're letting your athletic department run amok. I mean, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't jive with what education is all about, which is trying to get the best out. College of sports and education have nothing to do with each other. Oh no, other. they're two. Well, one one funds the other. Yeah, I mean, there's a financial element to it, and there's a a satisfying alumni who just want to get drunk and go to football games element to it. But like in terms of the biology department cross section with the football team, no. I mean, th that's apples and oranges. No, I will say this. I, I do think there are a majority and I, I do, I do agree with what I'm about to say. I think there are a majority, certainly a lot of coaches, whether it's head coaches or assistant coaches that really do want to instill good values and, and try and do things the right way. It's the problem is, is, is when you allow when you allow some of these coaches to get away with something and then everyone tries to get away with things. I mean, it's it's continuously pushing the boundaries. Well, I mean, and this is the discussion we've been having with the FBI scandal in college basketball. And today there were some new initiatives announced. We're going to allow certain players to have agents. We're going to allow certain players to declare for the NBA draft and then decide to go back to college. So we're making some inroads on modernizing the system. But in the end, you're right. If basketball coaches are paid to win, there are going to be actors who will do anything it takes right. to win. Right. And, there, there, and if the administration allows that to happen, then they kind of reap what they sow. Right. So, I mean, it's almost impossible to fix a sport that has so much money in it, but where you're not paying the, the people playing the game. I mean, that's how you end up with coaches making millions upon millions of dollars because if football is making all this revenue and you're not paying the players, where do you think the money is going to go? It's going to go to the coaches. Well, if you're paying the coaches $10 million, well, what do you think their motivation is to sure. win, to get players at all costs? And that's not to say that everyone's dirty, but there are a lot of dirty programs. You know, it's interesting because does the opposite effect have... I mean, I'm not an economist, but I mean, if you let's say you take, you know, 80 or 70 percent or maybe 60 percent of that money that you're giving to coaches and, and, you know, help fund student athletes getting some some piece of the pie. And now coaches are making less money and you put more accountability on them. Are they becoming better coaches because they know they have, you know, to, to make more money, they have to do things on the up and up? Or is it is it a better situation where? It's kind of like the baseball model where you can pay a coach whatever you, whatever you feel like he's worth and kind of like more, more of the capitalistic free market system as opposed to maybe something more regulated. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know because yeah. that's not the not the way the system yeah. works. It, it, it's a good question. Salary but, cap on coaches. Yeah, exactly. So because you're still going to get people. I mean, there, there are people that enjoy. I mean, let's face it. Even if you're a lower level, like a Division three head coach, I mean, you're doing that because you love coaching and, you, and you're getting you know a decent salary. Um, I, I still think if you if you put curbs on what head coaches make at the Division one level, there's still going to be guys that are going to achieve and do well and try and become head coaches. I don't think taking the money out, it, 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 maybe it shrinks the pool a little bit, but I, I still think the guys that are going to try to get into coaching are, are getting into coaching because they love to win, they love to compete, and it's a, it's a different job than going working at a bank nine to five. Right, but something. then where does the revenue go? If Kentucky is making all this money and we're not paying players no, no, and no, we're no, not paying coaches. No, no, I said, I said well, in, in my example, I think if you're taking that money away, you, you do two things with it. You either it goes back into the university, um, or maybe that's how they help fund. You know, if it gets to the point where the NCAA or if if the Power Five break away and they do their own kind of paying of players or you know stipends or however, whatever you want to call it, that's where that money would come from. I yeah, think. I mean it, it's an interesting concept, and you know it, it's one of those the system is broken, but there are a lot of people motivated to not change it in any sort right. of way. But or- I think I do think though. And this would be the interesting thing to track. I don't know how you could do this on a test test basis, but I, I think, you know, if players are players are compensated not to their full market value, I don't know if that's realistic completely with football. I think basketball it's a different story, but uh, but if you compensated the players where they felt like they were getting enough or something, you know, does that take kind of the seat? You know, like we talked about with gambling, making it above board, like bringing it out in the open, put sunlight on it. Does it does it change how things are done? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's the Bearded Carcast. We're Episode back. 30. 31. Live from Mike's Kitchen. We, we're going to get back out on the road soon. I'm looking forward to the winter basketball schedule being yeah, released I'm soon. Excited and about seeing that. where we're going to go and what we're going to be able to explore. Now, from what we're understanding, we, we can't give specifics, but I think we have a couple, some some good non-conference road games that we'll be able to have some fun with. Yeah, I think there are some, some fun places that we're going to go. But honestly, we find fun wherever yes, we, do. we go because it, it's the camaraderie, it's the sure. college experience, it's it's a lot of fun to hunt out those good restaurants and find those cultural things what makes a city a city so we're looking forward to getting back out on the road soon on our bearded carcass and if you have input if you have questions if you have comments we'd love to hear from you hashtag bearded carcass send us an email bearded carcast at outlook.com Episode 30 of the Bearded Cow. Okay, it's episode 31. I'm, I'm finally <laughs> relenting that uh, the, the last episode is uh, it, it's going to be an official, unheard episode, only listened to by three people. And it was incredible. It was, inc- it was the best one, one of we've the ever best. done. The best work we've ever the done. The best work we've ever done. Uh, interesting PGA Championship. It's weird that it's not here this year. It was here last year, and it was really fun going to see golf in August. Normally, we do it in in May, and uh, you know, really, I mean, lived. And up remember, the, the PGA is moving, so yeah. we're kind of coming to the end of the PGA yeah. being in August. It, it, it's soon to move earlier in right. the calendar yeah. year, which I think is going to be terrific because. 
the PGA Championship gets lost. It gets lost in the baseball pennant races. It gets lost in the run-up to football Pre-season, beginning. Yeah. It gets lost in this time when kids are going back to school. What's well, vacation? It just heavy vacation time too. Heavy vacation time. It doesn't have the pop of the Masters, the first one with all the tradition, the Open Championship, mm-hmm. and the Lynx courses in Europe, and of course the U.S. Open Father's Day weekend. Yeah. The PGA really is the fourth of the four majors and I think moving timetable wise might be a really good thing I am looking forward to it and golf's ratings have been terrific since Tiger Woods has been playing well my understanding is this course does not fit Tiger particularly well you really need to be long on the course and he these days is not one of the longer players and he's much better in fast greens than slow greens and that's not what they're expecting in St. Louis this week could be a tough course for Jordan Spieth as well but as you and I I have noted so many times there are so many good golfers right now that the chances that it's going to be tight and fun and well played down the stretch very very high and I think golf has had their prayers answered to some extent because Tiger has been competitive this year no question you know you know he was close in the you know he was in the final round at the British yeah I'm sorry at the open at the open championship um, I mean, he had the lead yeah. with nine holes yeah. to go, and then he fell apart. I mean, it is. But I my- think there's an element too, though, and at least and I'm, I know I'm a little bit older than you. But uh, for me, I, there's an element of I really hope he can bag another major, just because it was so great when Jack won it in '86. The and number remember- of people on social media at the ninth hole of the British Open that were like, "Tiger's going to win it. He's going to do it," and, and I'm reading this stuff, going, "Have you watched the last ten years?" Why would you believe that's going to happen? I mean, I agree. The storyline is unbelievable. I hope he is in contention down the stretch Sunday. And if he's not in contention down the stretch Sunday, I hope it happens at the Masters next year, the U.S. Open next year. But for many years, a whole lot of people, basically the entire golf-watching community, made excuses. Tiger will be back. He'll win more majors. It's been a long time. I don't know how someone that actually thinks about this stuff reasonably thinks that it's going to happen again. He's maybe the 40th best golfer in the world right now. What are the chances of the 40th best golfer at an advanced age winning another right. major? I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It would be an unbelievable story if it did. Sure. But I think it's far more likely that it's not happening. I think it's much more likely he's going to beat Phil Mickelson in the made-for-TV yeah. Thanksgiving one-on-one <laughs> contest than he's going to beat Spieth and Dustin Johnson yeah. and John Rahm and Justin Thomas. And you know, it's all interesting that we really haven't talked about players. Rory McIlroy in a while. Yeah, I mean, he, but he, that that's the thing. Golf doesn't have the one guy right now. They've got 10 or 12 yeah. really good players. Then they have another tier of 12 or 15 or 20 good players. And then Tiger's in the tier after that. See, mm-hmm. there are a lot of guys in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The um, One of the stories that really kind of tickled me over the weekend, and maybe it's just because I was uh, – yeah, you know, I was born in the well, I mean, 1969. So it's like the end of the 60s. But Mets had a heck of a year. They had a great year. But you know, at my childhood, you know, back then when you had the you know the three network stations, and then you had a couple of independent stations before cable, and the independent stations, uh, some of them like TBS would uh, when they became on cable, you know, you could see national stuff. But before then, uh, you were just watching reruns of shows that were a little bit older. Like Hogan's Heroes was one. Uh, you know, Mash. Um, but the Brady Bunch was was huge uh, when I was a kid, and it's interesting. I think it sold for over, over two million dollars. The the 
outside Brady House was and this is an interesting story. Lance Bass, one of the boy band guys, right? He thought he had a bid Saturday to buy this house for I think it was like one point eight million or something like that. And then he got a call the next morning after he partied like a rock star. And they said, well, I got some bad news for you because you've been outbid by a major studio. Turns out it was HGTV. Yeah, it is an interesting story. My wife certainly likes watching But they all can't this. turn that house into, like the inside, scale-wise, I don't think they can turn it into it the... It seems to me that it's a media play, right? It's a PR play. Like, you're HGTV and you certainly have a core audience, and I think they probably do reasonably well. But we've talked about how few people watch television these days right the subscribers to cable are way down there are all these cord cutters <coughs> excuse me and maybe it's a look at us look at what we're doing and it kind of is the the signature piece of the network that we own this yeah. and they can use it for all sorts of different promotional stuff i, I kind of like it yeah no it's what's interesting to me though is there and I know the answer to this with you because you don't really have a lot of sentimental value, but would there be something from a TV show or a movie that if, if you had an unlimited budget, is there something that you would have to have? I don't know. You know, I'm not a big, like, thing. Well, you're not a big guy. movie. Yeah, you're not. I, I don't like toys and things. I like more like experiences, like right. going to Springsteen. I don't know. Yeah. What, what is it for you? I would love to, to have the uh, Magnum PI Ferrari. What would the you original. do with it? I would drive it around. You would? I would drive okay, it like, like a boss. <laughs> to me, that's much better than you would no, put, like it put it in a, a garage and like, yeah, somewhere. No, no, no. You would actually drive around with it. Okay. I would I, I would drive that thing like a boss. Oh. I might even wear a tiger's hat. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay, is there a piece of sports memorabilia or, or a sports Well, the one, the one I would want, I can't have, and that's the, um, the final out of the 2004 World Series. Okay. I was thinking it was going to be the bloody sock, yeah. or maybe, or maybe the deflated football. No, no, not that, not that. The baseball definitely. Uh, yeah, that makes the, sense. And the one that Doug Mankiewicz, uh and kind of hounded him for a while, but uh, it's currently with the Baseball Hall of Fame, Cooperstown, which is probably where it that's belongs. where it belongs. I mean, a piece of, art, uh, you know, an artifact like that. Uh, the other, you know, actually, I would say, the other thing I would probably, um, and this is. Take out the politics aside, I mean, Schilling was was huge in that series, but I would probably do a David Ortiz game jersey from from that old four yeah, series. Absolutely, that would that would definitely be the be the um, be the, the the one on that. Now we we kind of teased everybody because we, we talked about this couple of, well early early on. Um, so what what position do you think my son John's playing? He's playing sixth grade middle school football. If you had to take a guess. I mean, my knowledge of sixth grade middle school football is not extraordinary, but um, uh, I don't know. Corner? I, that's what I would have said corner, safety, or wide receiver. But uh, no, he's bulked up. He's on the. Uh, he's, uh, he's been playing some tight end, and he's been playing on the defensive line. I would not a have defensive guessed that. End. What does he yeah. weigh? Uh, well, it's about technique at this stage okay. of the game. Yeah, it's okay. not about. Uh, but but the funny thing is, Dave, it, when you look at these kids, especially in their pads, I mean, there are some kids that are just like monsters that, that, that stand out. But they're all they're all they're all about the. You know, he's probably taller and lankier. How long is the season? They play, I think, ten games. Ten games. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I'll be interested to see how that goes, and we'll talk about the good, bad, and ugly of that as we move along. We're kind of holding back football. We'll talk a yeah. lot about football on the podcast in the coming weeks. The NFL season is coming. The college season is coming. So there's a lot of material there. But we'll also, what what's John's team name? Do we have a team They're name? They're the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs. The Holy Trinity Bulldogs. Okay, so we'll we'll keep tabs on the Holy Trinity Bulldogs. Do we like them uh Minus the the seven and a half week one, or are we, we? I can't really get into the, the spreads as well, a parent. That's not that's not uh, kosher. Well, I, I thought I, <laughs> I, guess, I guess gambling's not legal in North Carolina yet, but very yeah. soon we're going to be able to. I tell you what, if we're gambling on middle sixth grade middle school, we football, might have an edge. We, we, well, we might know. We, we, might, we might have, have issues. We, <laughs> I think we might have knowledge. I think issues. I think that might be what <laughs> the the bearded carcass might just turn into the handicapping. <laughs> podcast oh boy hang on hang on to your <laughs> hang on to your wallets here we come all right another uh, episode in the books number 31 if you're paying uh, paying attention and always fun having uh, having you with us and you can get involved at bearded carcast on twitter and you can email the show bearded carcast at outlook.com so for dave i'm mike thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time episode 32 is next